Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Jeremy Appel, freelance journalist. Hello. Hey, great to be here, uh, J-Bro. <laughs> Today, Jeremy, on the show, hate crimes against Nazis. And the first order of business for 10 newly elected politicians in Hamilton is to boycott the local newspaper. Welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. Great to be here. Uh, first time, long time. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Ryan Shiskowski, Chelsea Dowson, Danielle Hansberger, Darren LeBlanc, Jenna Oceanic, Evan Mutual, Al McCabe, and Anka. My name is Anka Bada, and I'm an immigrant living in Toronto. I listen to Canada Land because it gives me perspective about the country I call my home. Shows like Thunder Bay and Commons allow me to peek behind the curtain of the official Canadian stories and gain insight into what truly means to be Canadian. My dog Peanut also loves Canada Land because she gets longer walks every time a new episode is out. So Jeremy, our first story takes place in your home turf of Alberta. Uh, You're in Calgary. This is in Edmonton. But I think to tell the story properly, we have to go back to 1943. (laughs) Yeah. What happened then? Roman Shuhevich, a Ukrainian nationalist and military commander. Uh, He's a Nazi collaborator. 
He is a hero of Ukrainian nationalism, but he was a Nazi collaborator. Whether or not he was an actual Nazi, I guess, is a matter of some debate. Certainly, he was involved in the massacre of 100,000 Poles, the Volyn massacre. There seems to be some historical debate as to the role he may or may not have played in exterminating Jewish people. One might say this is splitting hairs. If you're a Nazi collaborator, you are participating in the final solution. He was a military commander, and he is revered as a hero of Ukraine because of this messy history where Ukrainian nationalism has its roots in Nazi collaboration. And why am I telling you this little history lesson? Because there are a surprising number of monuments to Nazi collaborators and Nazis in Canada. And in Edmonton, there is a statue of Roman Shuhevich. This has been a thorn in the side of people who don't like Nazis, including Jewish groups. And I guess our story today begins when Duncan Kinney reported that this statue was vandalized, that somebody spray painted in red spray paint, actual Nazi and Nazi monument on this statue. The vandalism occurred in August 2021. This was reported by the Progress Report, which is the media wing of Progress Alberta, which is an activist group, a progressive group. And so Duncan Kinney reports this. And then last week, we learn that Duncan Kinney has been charged with that act of vandalism. So the allegation here is that he reported on vandalism that he did. Now, that, of course, if true, is, like, pretty bad. That's pretty much one of the worst things you could do as a journalist. I guess it's up there with just making stuff up, but actually creating a news event, reporting on the news event that you created and not disclosing that it was something you did. If that's true, but this we do not know that it's true, some journalists aren't really waiting. Tristan Hopper of the National Post tweeting, Holy shit, I thought Duncan Kinney openly wrote a column about vandalizing the statue. I didn't realize he vandalized it. And then in brackets, allegedly, that allegedly is, uh, you know, seems like ass covering more than any open curiosity on Tristan's part of innocence before guilt. One time Canada Land guest, Terry Glavin, also tweeting, as charged by Edmonton police, quote unquote, progressive Alberta pamphleteer, Duncan Kinney, got his scoop about a defaced statue because he did it himself. That seems pretty conclusive for an alleged an alleged crime. Jeremy, you're friends with Duncan Kinney, yes? Yes, I know him rather well. I've also collaborated with him journalistically at the Progress Report. I've done some work there that I'm uh, quite proud of. So a lot of people have a big problem, and you can read that in Terry's tweet, with somebody who is openly an activist, also uh, presenting himself as a journalist. I have my opinions about it as well. It's not my preferred mode of engagement as a journalist, but I also just feel like that's a thing that can exist legally, that does exist, and often, as long as it's overt that, you know, people are reporting from a point of view and they have a political agenda, but they're reporting stories that are true. I've seen a lot of like true verifiable stories broken by some outfits that are openly, you know, activist outlets. I want to kind of park that aside here. I guess certainly in cases like this, the fact that Duncan is an activist becomes kind of like, uh-huh, uh-huh. It leads people to, I think, presumptions of guilt. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know somewhat skeptical of these sort of old school notions of journalistic ethics that you allude to, right? That you have to be completely neutral. You can't show any sign of emotion or bias. I think that's a load of nonsense that's used to uphold the established order. So if you're a reporter, you're just have to talk to people, say this person thinks this, this person thinks that. And only if your opinions have a certain uh, sort of relationship to the status quo that upholds it, then you're allowed to have an opinion, right? Sure, sure. But that's not the old school journalistic ethic that's really at play here. I think that there's a pretty solid old school journalistic ethic that I hope we can agree with. Yeah. You shouldn't go and like create a news event and then report on it, which we don't know that anyone has done. That much I think we could probably agree is like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like that's a cardinal sin. So if he did that, it brings into question his credibility as a journalist. I mean, it doesn't even bring into question. It would eliminate that credibility. But I think an important piece to keep in mind here is that Duncan is, in his capacity as a journalist, who's also an activist, he's been a vociferous critic of the Edmonton Police Service. In February, they withdrew his media credentials, and sort of he's in this ongoing battle to get those back. And then in July, it leaked a uh, police commissioner sort of let spill that Duncan was under investigation. Didn't say criminal investigation, but investigation. First of all, obviously, it's troubling that a member of the media is under investigation by the police for, at the time, we didn't know what. But it's also troubling that police commissioner knows this because they're a police commissioner. They're supposed to hold police to account. There's a whole history of police commissions writ large, just not doing that, just serving as, you know, window dressing for the police force or their like PR agency. Let's tell this background here because it's important. And it's also important to mention that Duncan has let it be known that he is pleading not guilty and will be mounting a vigorous defense. So that's pretty germane here. But the background, you know it better than I do. Let me know if I've got this wrong here because this was going on for a long time. He is a journalist who reports from a progressive uh, activist point of view. He's been a critic of the cops and he's been in this open conflict with the cops about getting press access. And this was sort of like an issue of interest to us before the charges were laid because here you've got the cops denying a journalist access saying, well, you're not a journalist. And... You know, reasonable people can agree or disagree as to whether an activist can also be a journalist. But I think hopefully we could agree that we don't want cops being the ones to make that determination as to whether or not one of their critics is, in fact, a journalist or not. But they were denying him press credentials and he was fighting them on that. And then he learns over the summer the review of your request for press credentials is going to take a bit longer than anticipated because you are under investigation by the police and we're not telling you what for. Yeah. <laughs> right. And he, he tweeted. Like, at least he was saying, I don't know what this is about. I don't know, like, am I being investigated because I'm asking for press access? And then, as you say, Jeremy, the police commissioner lets it be known that he has awareness of this. And I don't know much about how it works internally with the cops, but apparently it's pretty rare for a police commissioner to even know about an investigation. I mean, this is also weird. Like, this is like a extended investigation into, like, spray paint graffiti of a Nazi statue, like, and this has, like, reached the attention of the police commissioner? Yeah. In my friendship and professional relationship with Duncan, 
you know, colors my perception of this. And I don't think he did it. But even if he did do it, the way this has been conducted is extraordinarily suspicious. And the decision to use police resources to investigate one crime and not another, I mean, that's an inherently political decision. So the fact that they're putting this much effort into something that, if true, uh, you know, completely discredits one of their most prominent critics, I think is troubling whether he did it or not. So I guess the hypothetical here is, let's say for a second that he did do it. That doesn't mean that the cops are blameless here. Let's say he did it. Why are they putting months of resource? Why has it gone so far up the ladder? Why are they coming after a guy who spray painted a monument that arguably shouldn't even be there to begin with, uh, with such rigor? It's uh, arguably because they are targeting their critic for persecution, which I guess I agree. If that's the case, uh, they shouldn't be doing that. But Jeremy, I just really hope he didn't do it. I hope he wasn't that stupid to do it. That's not going to be the story. Mm -hmm. If in fact he did it, you know, the story is like, oh man, that is like incredibly discrediting to anybody who's trying to do activist-based journalism honestly and, and legitimately. You know, that's a disservice to people who have been trying to get rid of these egregious monuments, which should not be anywhere in Canada. It ain't a good look, but he is maintaining his innocence. Oh, I'm going to be so mad at him if he did it. But I also want to point out that Edmonton police have a history of doing this sort of thing. For one, they have a list of enemies. That includes Bashir Mohammed, who is a uh, you know, anti-racist activist. I wouldn't put it past the Edmonton police. I want to get clarification. You say that the police have an enemies list. How do we know that? Where did this enemies list come from? Oh, it was through an integrity commissioner complaint that the police launched against Councillor Michael Jans. It was filed by the police association, so like the police union, and it explicitly took issue with Michael Jans engaging online with known critics of the police service, including lawyer Tom Engel, who's actually Duncan's lawyer, and Bashir Mohammed and others. Plus, years ago, uh, Carrie Diot, who's now like a rebel news weirdo, before that he was a conservative MP, and he was an Edmonton Sun columnist, was a staunch critic of the Edmonton Police Service in a very specific Alberta conservative way of criticizing them for using photo radar to you know give people speeding tickets. So the Edmonton Police Service set up a sting operation outside a bar Diot was known to frequent where they waited outside to try and catch him uh, driving drunk. Now, Diot didn't drive drunk. He took a cab home, even though he had driven there. And what's interesting about that is Kerry Diot, who's now this you know far-right media personality, his response to the charges against Duncan were, gee, I wonder if the punishment is going to be more severe because the hate crime unit is uh, investigating it. That is concerning. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think I'm inclined to agree with you. Innocent until proven guilty and... We have to claim as our own journalists doing journalism, and there's nothing in the Canadian Association of Journalists criteria for inclusion or for or for defense that says, well, if you've taken political positions, you're not you're not one of us. So I th I, I think we have to stand by Duncan, and I think that there is reason to believe that there may be a, a bit of a 
vendetta, persecution, targeting here going on. And, you know, I think everybody's holding back because it's well outside of the mainstream. And Duncan is like vociferous, right? He's an aggressive activist and people aren't sure about this guy. I'm not sure about this guy in terms of whether or not he did it or not, but the presumption is of innocence. Yes. And I think a lot of people have conveniently forgotten about that because they don't like him. These sorts of principles, whether you like a person or not, it applies to them. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Jeremy, you are a longtime Shortcuts listener, first-time guest. You know that we duly note things that people should know more about. Would you like to kick us off and uh, duly note something? I'd love to. It's my favorite part of the show. Speaking of police using the arm of the law to discredit its critics, here in Calgary, an activist by the name of Taylor McNally is on trial this week. Last year, Black Lives Matter of which Taylor is a part, staged a like two or three week protest outside the courthouse where a constable Dunn was convicted of uh, slamming a black woman face first uh, into the ground. He received a month long conditional sentence and notably while he was suspended without pay, He wasn't fired from the police. He's still technically a member of the Calgary Police Service. I mean, if you're a teacher and you slam a student to the ground face first, you're going to get fired. Virtually any other profession, but when you're a cop, you're still technically uh, on the force. And he is also under investigation for blackface photos that came out while he was on trial. But anyway, so there's this two, three week protest and Taylor was accused 
of violently assaulting a off-duty sheriff. Now, she claimed she was assaulted in that she was simply just defending herself. There's video of Taylor's arrest where she is tackled and has a knee on what appears to be her neck. And after this, they're laying all these other assault charges against her of assaults that they say took place where some of them, they hadn't even identified who the victim was. So I think this is another example, and I think it's especially important because Taylor is black, of police service going after one of their staunchest critics. Duly noted. I want to duly note the, the sad state of affairs with CBC Radio 3. When you are as old as I am, Jeremy, uh, you get to see the full lifespan of like really exciting, noble efforts come to you know near conclusions like this. I'll back up actually because I remember when CBC Radio Three came out, like in like what was it like two thousand or something. I remember it was this really exciting thing where, like the BBC, CBC was like, we're going to have this whole youth vertical. We're going to have like alternative culture and music. And there, there was like this, a whole like website called CBC Radio 3. It wasn't radio, it was a website, but it was like, they were commissioning all kinds of interesting work from all kinds of different writers. And it was a home to all kinds of interesting music. And you know, it was the kind of thing that a lot of people thought CBC should be doing. And a lot of people in the arts communities around Canada were glad to see this. And as the years go by, like these grand schemes kind of come to like, you know, it gets smaller and smaller until finally what sort of left is a, I guess, radio station that you can hear on Sirius, right? That's sort of what it is. And one thing they had going for them and the last big benefit to arts communities was that there was pretty generous royalties to musicians, but 44 bucks US per play through the serious deal. Now, like everything with Canadian arts, as the years go on, they play the same artists again and again, and there's a lot of internal politics about who's benefiting and who's getting paid and who isn't, but it still existed and it was still like a source of income for musicians. And now it's done. Uh, Sirius XM will no longer be hosting CBC Radio 3. The contract is up and it won't be renewed. And I guess the fate of CBC Radio 3 is sort of like unknown. But what is known is that those checks will no longer be coming in for musicians. And I guess what I want to duly note is we're currently cooking up a whole new scheme of like how to get the private sector to pay for media in Canada. And it's interesting that one is kind of winding down while one is kicking up again. And sometimes people misinterpret my takes on this stuff as if I'm opposed to funding for the arts. I just think if you're going to fund the arts, fund the damn arts and don't create some weird labyrinth where you're kind of getting serious to somehow subsidize it. And then it eventually becomes kind of like captured by a certain sector of the arts community. And then when the conditions of the marketplace change, it all dies anyhow. It's not easy to be a musician. It's not easy to be in content or in the arts in Canada and tying it to all of these weird schemes and plots, it just ain't working and it's not working for musicians who were relying on those checks from Sirius. Do the noted. You got one more for us? Yes. I wanted to note the relative lack of media coverage for the fact that Canada and the U.S. just sent a bunch of tanks to Haiti ostensibly to combat gangs who have blocked fuel ports in protest 
of the new president, Ariel Henry, relatively new president, who is unelected, who cut fuel subsidies. I found that there hasn't been a whole lot of coverage on this. Stories that have been there have been totally devoid of historical context, like noting the fact that Haiti's democratically elected government, uh, which was overthrown in 2004, the plot to overthrow them was actually hatched at Meech Lake. And the current president of Haiti was appointed by a core group of countries, including Canada, the U.S., France, which, of course, has a long colonial history with Haiti, Germany, and a bunch of others. I found the media coverage of that to be superficial. Duly noted. I have one last one for us today. I'd like to duly note that our new investigative series, Ratfucker, is making waves in your city, Calgary. Ah, yes. Hometown hero, David Wallace. A failed attempt to ensnare a former Calgary mayor is prompting calls for a police investigation. Canada Land first reported an alleged plot by some Calgary business leaders to catch Nahed Nenshi accepting Russian money, which didn't happen. Now Nenshi is denouncing the alleged scheme, and Calgary Mayor Jody Gondek is calling the alleged plot an attack on democracy. Now, Jeremy, later in that CTV segment, uh, we learned that one of the wealthy people who is upset with the revelations in our story is threatening to sue us. So, you know, we're the ones who reported that there was a conservative plot to entrap and remove the democratically elected mayor of Calgary, and CTV are the ones who are reporting that uh, Canada Land is going to get sued for it. And, you know, we wondered when we were investigating the story about municipal politics in Calgary, like, why are we the ones uncovering this? Like, there's a CBC presence in Calgary. There's a whole post-media newspaper in Calgary. Uh, the Wire Service has reporters in Calgary. Why did it take Canada Land to expose this scheme? A lot of those other newsrooms, they had their hands on the source material, the Klondike Papers as well. They could have dug into this story, which is about their city, your city, just as easily as us, probably more easily because they've got a lot more resource and local background than we do. I think we found the answer to that question. Investigations lead to legal threats. When you uncover things, people get upset. The the investigations themselves, of course, are, are very expensive. But what you get afterwards as a thank you for your troubles can often be a lawsuit. This has happened to us here many times where our investigations and reporting have led to legal threats. We've been threatened by, I don't know, the list gets like, we've been threatened by Jean Gameshi. We've been threatened by We Charity. We've been threatened by Jordan Peterson. We've been threatened by Brian Singer, the the Hollywood director who is accused of sexually assaulting minors. We've been threatened by Marineland. We've been threatened by the Irving family. Many, many more. And none of the people I've just mentioned actually went through with it and, and sued us. They were trying to stop us from reporting. We have been sued by others, but In the nine years that we've been in operation, we have never lost a lawsuit. We've never settled a lawsuit. And we've never come to our listeners and said, hey, we're being sued. Please help us. Please give us money for our legal defense. And I want to duly note that I am not making that request now during our crowdfunding month. But this is a crowdfunding message. Listen, we understand that we are in the practice of uncovering things and exposing powerful people who are doing things they shouldn't do. And if you're doing that kind of work, if you're doing investigative reporting, you've got to be prepared to defend yourself 
against legal attacks. It's just the cost of doing journalism. It's inevitable. And I don't need to ask our listeners to send us money for our legal defense because we have libel insurance thanks to listener support in the past. But I am asking listeners right now, support our journalism, not our legal defense. I want you to keep our newsroom strong. I want you to make us stronger. I want to never have to drop a story that we know is true and important because, you know, it's inevitably going to piss off somebody who has the resources to come after us, regardless of the merit of what we have to tell the public. I don't want to ever say, you know, like, let some other newsroom cover this one. You know, it's not worth the trouble. You know, we'll come in afterwards and we'll cover the fallout. I want you to support our investigations when they need to happen. And we do this all the time. And our colleagues at Canada Land Commons, they are about to publish their new season that is like every episode is about some of the most powerful interests in Canada. It's about monopolies. And this is so crucially needed right now to take a critical look at the monopolies that are like running so much of Canada. And every time we publish, we take these risks. Support us so we can keep taking these risks when we need to take them. And if you support us now, you can hear that season of Commons. It's already live. Our supporters are getting a first listen. Our shows are always free for everybody. And that's one thing that our supporters pay for is like everybody else gets it. And every time somebody supports us, like 15 other people hear each podcast we make because one person decides to support us. But we do like to take care of our supporters in a lot of different ways. And right now, if you become a supporter, you can listen to Commons new season on Monopolies right now. This is when we make these pleas and we do it for a month and then we kind of shut up about it for the rest of the year. So I'm asking right now, please support us at canadaland.com slash join or click the link on the show notes. We will make you proud if you hire us to keep doing this work. Noted duly. Jeremy, we're going to talk about this uh, terrible crime in Hamilton. Uh, At least our story starts with a crime that occurred on September 21st, 2021 when a guy named Fakir Ali was abducted from his home in Hamilton early morning hours of September 21st, 2021. And it was a home invasion. And as they were kidnapping this guy, Fakir Ali, his sons came to his defense and one of them was shot and killed, Hasnain Ali. And his other son was also shot and seriously injured, but but survived. Uh, Apparently, this was going to be an extortion attempt So arrests were made of the men who allegedly perpetrated this crime, but another, another man was charged as well. And it's the coverage of that arrest that has led to the story we're going to talk about today. And why don't I just read the headline that ran in the Hamilton Spectator, because it is this headline and this news story that prompted what happened next. Here's the headline. Community organizer alleged to have helped kidnappers escape. The deck here says, Samson DeCamo, 27, is charged with accessory after the fact to kidnapping in relation to a fatal 2021 Glenbrook home invasion. And, you know, the story leads with a community organizer who has called for the defunding of police has been charged in relation to the kidnapping of a Mount Hope man. So they really, like focused and centered on the fact that this guy's a community organizer who's been a critic of the cops and supports the defunding of police. And that has led to what happened just recently, which is that there were municipal elections in Hamilton. 
there are a bunch of newly minted elected leaders, five city councilors and five school trustees, who are so incensed by this coverage, which they say is racist coverage, that they are boycotting the Hamilton Spectator. They just became elected leaders, and like the first thing they're doing is saying, we will not answer questions from this newspaper until they kind of meet our demands and own up to the racism of the story. All right. The paper has responded and said, listen, we're really sensitive and we want to be really sensitive and aware of issues of racism in our coverage, but we went over the story and there's nothing wrong in the story. Like, it's all factual. What's in the story? There's nothing incorrect in the story. What do you think, Jeremy? Well, I was quite ambivalent about this at first because no journalist likes being told, oh, we're not going to talk to you because of something you didn't do, right? That uh, Because of a decision that was made over your head. But then I read the piece again and I don't think the issue is factual. I think it's one of emphasis, right? Why does it say in the lead that he supports defunding the police. How is that germane? Like, I get mentioning it in passing, maybe, or mentioning his involvement with these community organizations, which I think was quite high up there, the third paragraph or so. What relevance does this have to this story? And it does suggest that this is being used to discredit these organizations and this movement he represents. And I also looked it up. There's not a single black person who works at the spectator, at least uh, on the editorial side of things. And I think that may be a dynamic that's at force here. You know, I agree. I think that there is a very legitimate complaint that can be lobbed at the spectator for how they chose to go about this. I mean, I do think that when somebody has a public profile, you include those details in the coverage. And the spectator was not the only news source that included this guy's role in the community and his outspoken politics. I think we would do the same. We would mention that stuff. But to lead with it. If you were from one of these community groups and and you read this headline, community organizer alleged to have helped kidnappers escape. And then, you know, right up there that the same guy who called for the defunding of the police is a criminal, allegedly. It does seem like they're trying to associate those things in a way that I'm not sure what the association is. Like, like what is the implication? Like, all those people calling for the defunding of the police are doing so this so they can commit more crimes? And I think that this is compatible with a lot of broader critiques of how coverage can be racist, not in its lack of factual basis, but in the framing, you know? I'm actually surprised, actually, that they didn't go with another racist framing because, you know, we know that whenever there's some sort of, like, tie to hip-hop music, that's usually the lead, and there was one in this case. There's actually a video from one of the alleged perpetrators that went up on YouTube in, in 2019 called Home Invasion Freestyle. So if it's not a community group that's being somehow associated with a crime, it's often, like, a genre of music. Jeremy, all of these things are like really important things for us to talk about when we're trying to like do better journalism and to really look at some of the inherent bias and racism that gets uh, subtly or not so subtly baked into the journalism. And I think that if these 10 new elected officials, these city councilors and school trustees uh, wanted to say, we are really concerned about the racism in this coverage and we're really concerned about the racial makeup of the spectator. We don't think they have the people at hand to do better coverage and we're really concerned about that. I think that would be just fine. But to say 
we're not like there aren't a lot of news sources in Hamilton. Like the Spectator is the paper there. It's pretty good paper. And they do keep elected officials accountable in a lot of instances. And to say we think you did some racist coverage, so we're not going to answer your questions like from a school trustee is wild to me. It's wild. And I, and I do have trouble seeing a huge difference between these assumedly progressive politicians blacklisting a media source and saying, you guys are like racist news. We're not talking to you anymore. How is that very different from like a Trump saying, oh, CNN, you're fake news. I'm not talking to you. What the public gets from that is less accountability. And where does that leave things? Like that really works out nicely for politicians. You've got like a righteous justification for not answering the media's questions. Like it's, it's, it's not acceptable. I mean, you can still hold politicians to account without having comment for them, right? I, I mean, there are many avenues of doing that beyond talking to them. I mean, accessing documents. And then you just say, so-and-so did not respond to a request for comment. Come on, come on, come on, come on. We absolutely have to demand that politicians answer our questions. And the same way that I think we need to stand in solidarity when it seems like the cops are targeting a journalist, we have to stand in solidarity when, when politicians say, this news source has done some bad coverage, we're not answering their questions anymore. That changes the dynamic. Like the only reason why politicians answer media's questions at all is because we kind of force them to and we embarrass them when they don't. Right. By saying so-and-so didn't respond to a request for comment. No, we can crusade. We can be loud when they actually formally stonewalling us. We can put pressure on them. We can do more than just suddenly have something that you have to be a pretty skilled newsreader to deduce that in paragraph four, oh, they didn't give comment. And I remember they didn't give comment last week either. That's egregious. Let me send a letter. No, like we can actually say this is not okay. We, we can use our bully pulpit to say, look, every news organization could be better and makes mistakes. And maybe this one is, is particularly uh, in need of, of reform. But to just like close the door, it ain't cool. And if one of these people were my city councilor or my school trustee, I, I'd be pretty upset. Yeah, I mean, but don't you empathize with the frustration they have here? I mean, they express their concerns. The spectator essentially was like, too bad. We don't see a problem here. And what means do these newly elected politicians have at their disposal beyond boycotting the spectator until they do better? But perhaps they could be more clear about their demands, right? I mean, they say in their letter, which was posted on Instagram, this group of trustees and counselors say they're refusing to speak to the spectator going forward until it takes steps to acknowledge the harm it has caused. That's pretty easy. Apologizes to those impacted, also easy, and comes up with an action plan that both addresses our concerns and is accountable to the communities and individuals who have been harmed by its actions. Now, that is, is somewhat vague. Like, what does that look like? But a good starting point is maybe having black people on staff. I mean, the Toronto Star, I know you had uh, Shri Pardkar on, uh, you know, some time ago as their, I believe, their diversity ombudsperson. You know, the Spectator's owned by Torstar, same company. So, I mean, they could have someone fulfill that role in their newsroom. One thing I also think it's worth noting that they noted in their letter is that this article didn't come out in a vacuum, right? Like Ward 14 City Council candidate Kojo Dempty was the executive director of one of these organizations that Samson DeCamo was affiliated with, and he was being attacked for it and uh, having 
you know, a, a white supremacist sticker. So again, I do understand the position you're articulating and the frustration of journalists who aren't getting access to these politicians as a result of a poor editorial decision by management. But at the same time, I empathize even more with these activists who are being dragged through the mud because one of the people who have worked with them in the past, he hasn't even worked with them anymore, is alleged to have committed a horrible crime. Yeah, and I think that the same message coming from activists is one that I would support completely, right? I mean, uh, that's what activists do is they take action like this and they say, we want better media coverage and we are boycotting this media source until we get it. There is a incredible difference between activists saying that and politicians. And what these politicians are saying, these elected leaders are saying is, we don't like your coverage and until you meet our demands, we are not going to be accountable to the press. The precedent there is terrible. And I'm as against it in this case as I am when Pierre Poliev says, you guys are against me. Politicians are always going to have beefs with the media, and sometimes those beefs are going to be legitimate. And the precedent to say, you've got to meet my standard of fairness before I answer your questions. Like, you know, you ask what else could these politicians do? I, I reject that completely. Like, like that assumes that they don't have power. They literally are like, I mean, at, at a low level, but they are the state. They have the power of the state. And like, if, if we just sort of abandon the idea that people who represent the state, who in their elected capacity are the government, can pick and choose who they're going to answer questions to on completely unrelated stories because they have problems with an article in a newspaper. That's a very bad path. Like, we can't accept that kind of thing. But we agree the, the framing of the story was atrocious. Oh, yeah, it was a shit framing. It was, <laughs> yeah, no, the point's totally legitimate. And I think like, you know, I don't know, maybe their point is made and they'll find a way to back away from that. And they could have made that point without this boycott stuff. I mean, maybe this is just the case that like some of them are coming from activism into elected office for the first time and they're sort of acting as activists, not necessarily as elected leaders. And, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a learning curve with that. I hope so. But like the public in Hamilton suffers when these people stop answering questions. And that is Shortcuts for this week. Jeremy, thank you for joining me. Oh, I had a blast. Uh, thanks for having me, Jesse. All right, you can find us on Twitter at CanadaLand. I can be emailed, as always, at jesse at canadaland.com, and I do read everything you send. Jeremy, where can people find you and read your work? I have a newsletter on Substack called The Orchard, which can be reached at theorchard.substack.com. I'm also on Twitter until the website implodes at JeremyAppel1025. And I host not one, but two podcasts, The Forgotten Corner, which is like a more like serious interview, uh, current affairs type show, and Big Shiny Takes, where we lambast Canada's pundit class. You can find those wherever you listen to podcasts, where you listen to Candleland. Check it out. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our production coordinator is Andre Pru. Theme music is by So Called. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. This is the time 
We need your support. If you value this podcast or anything Canada Land does, please support us now. You'll get premium access to all of our shows ad-free. You'll get all of Ratfucker with bonus episodes right now. You will get Common's new series on Monopolies starting right now. Our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Canada Land merch, invitations and tickets to our live events and virtual events. More than anything, you will be a part of the solution to the crisis in Canadian journalism. You will be keeping our work free and accessible for everybody. Go to canadaland.com slash join or click on the link in the show notes. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.